Hey, Zero Block 30 listeners, you can find us every Tuesday and Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Pride members can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. You know how I get ready for St. Patty's Day? It's all about St. Practice Day because practice makes proper. Proper number 12 Irish whiskey is a rich and smooth blend of golden grain and single malt, aged four years in bourbon barrels. Or try Irish Apple, a delicious blend of Proper's award-winning Irish whiskey with crisp and fresh notes of Irish Apple. Join me for a proper St. Paddy's Day and find yourself some proper number 12 Irish whiskey. Pour the roar. Dude, my days are it feels like I'm back in quarantine. I have no idea idea what day it is at all because I think it's because I traveled and then like came back and then was back at the, like a regular work week. So I just have essentially no sense of what day it is. It feels like I've been on a field up. But anyways, we have four rounds of the magazine today. Round number one. What do you get when you combine the military with dancing? That's right. Break dance fighting. And They're break a- dance fighting. Is that capoeira? Is that what, is that what that's called? The Brazilian. I, I know what you're dance? talking about. Yeah, it's capoeira. Uh, yeah, like that yeah. Brazilian. Well, I used to have this staff sergeant. All right, so I don't think I've ever told. It's rare that a fresh story pops into my brain. Yeah. So I used to have this staff sergeant Jelks was his name in Okinawa. Staff sergeant Jelks was essentially Major Payne come to life, mm-hmm. where except for he was bigger and more muscular, this dude was like six foot four, six foot five. 230 240 pounds but ran like a fucking gazelle like if you would he could run he was a 300 pft or even as a staff nco which is pretty incredible and we used to me and my buddy Maine, we used to make up stories almost like chuck norris style where staff sergeant jokes essentially would win the war by himself like that we would put him back in the position like do a time travel where staff sergeant jokes was going to the battle of okinawa and he shows up and he rows up in just a canoe and takes out the entire island by himself staff sergeant jokes was amazing and he had like he was a three black belt instructor in marine corps martial arts and would whoop your fucking ass like when you were doing training did not hold back like me at the time i was six foot probably 150 160 pounds and he would like point at me and be like, come on, cock train. Cause that's what so many of like the Marines called me back then. Cause Catherine cock train, it just kind of worked. That cock works train? actually. That works. Yeah, that works in a lot train. of ways. Okay. Uh-huh. So a lot of the Marines that were with me before chaps became my nickname. Cock train is what they would call me. So we'd be like, come here, cock train, let's fight. And he would beat my fucking ass, man. Like I would go home black and blue and just looking like shit. And he also on the weekends, he taught brazilian jiu-jitsu at on base at the gym and then he also taught the brazilian fight dancing and i was like what is that gonna do really like it was like in one of the classes and he was like well come on he's like well let's give it a go he did this cartwheel kick into Mm -hmm. my ribs i thought (laughs) 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 yeah it combines acrobatics dancing and like jiu-jitsu pretty much this you guys ever seen the movie saying it wrong but capoeira Capoeira. Have you ever seen the movie Only the Strong? That's a, that's no. a deep cut. So th- that whole movie is based on Capoeira about this, this guy who comes back from, he was a Green Beret and he comes back to this high school and kicks the, all the drug dealers and the gang Whoa. members out of school using Capoeira. Well, they have should a... have Capoeira, whatever the fuck, however you say it. They should have that as a UFC, but yeah. every fight you have to listen to Seven Nation Army. But <laughs> Is that Seven Nation Army? 
No, no. I don't know. Not it's even not, close. That's not something completely close. different. But what was we that have one? a staff sergeant. That was like Mortal Kombat. A staff oh. sergeant in the National Guard <laughs> who would be really good at it because she might be taking breakdancing to the Olympics. Pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, she's going to go out there and sell one. the National Anthem. Round number two. What would you do if the contents of your entire house missing? That's what happened to one military family when the moving truck carrying all their belongings got stolen. And this isn't the first time that it's happened. Round number three. Woo-wee! Rubbing is racing, folks. Race hail. Race hail. And we got a ZBT NASCAR collabo in uh, Charlotte this weekend. And we can't wait to tell you about it. We, you're going to want to hear the interview that we did with the mulleted driver, Keith McGee, who is also an Air Force veteran. Shout out to all the Air Force folks. He was talking about, you know, those uh, weirdo planes that have. Sure, the weirdo planes. <laughs> the weirdo planes that have like the big direct TV dish on top. Yes. Yeah. I, exa- I actually know exactly. On. Okay, cool. I know exactly. Wow. What you said it basically is like a direct TV dish. Like that's what they do. They just fly around real slow. Those things, those are the dumbest looking planes that we got. Really dumb looking planes. They're very yeah. ugly, but I'm sure they're very practical and very useful. I bet very all the ugly. other planes go out to the flight line and like, look at this fucking Loser. pizza dish thing. Look it looks like dweeb. one of those little pizza tables that they put on there so that the yeah. uh, yes. pizza box doesn't smash it. They just glued that with gorilla glue great personality though lady. <laughs> great personality yeah this, though, this plane so. grew up and, and developed a great personality out of necessity a very so it funny plane right that big thing mm-hmm. doesn't even do anything it's just a goof and finally yeah. round number four we're going to do a little bit of a memorial day tribute i i came across one of the a letter that a, a dude wrote about one of his buddies that he lost in combat and it's really touching we're gonna let you hear that in round number four and since we weren't supposed to do uh, episode today, we actually don't have any ad reads to do. So we're just going to get going with wow. the old show. So I guess we'll kind of start um, before we get to the actual interview about what's been going on here, like with uh, the entire situation with NASCAR. I love it. They have revealed the car. If you haven't seen it, go to our YouTube page. We have some pictures of it on our YouTube page, on our Facebook page, or not Facebook. Fuck am I talking about? <laughs> I don't even think Fucking we have a Facebook. Yeah, boomer. I don't know if we do, but uh, go to our MySpace I, and check it out. If you go to our Friendster page, you can check it out. Yeah, but tell we, chaps, give us a backstory. You know me, old context, Katie over here. How did this whole thing come about? I actually give the context in round number uh, three, so <laughs> I I do that in the interview. So I don't oh, know why perfect. I mentioned it Stay at the top tuned. of the show, but Pretty I'm sure. excited. It's the first. This is the first Memorial Day weekend that I'll be in my new place. I have uh, one pal coming over with his family that's also uh, a military member. So we're going to be chilling and hanging out and barbecuing. What are you guys doing for Memorial Day weekend? Kate, I have a feeling that you're going to be doing a little bit of feeding a child. Yeah, just hurting my nipples. Just really (laughs) ruining my nipples Mm. this weekend. No, you know what sucks? Actually, it doesn't suck. It sucks for everyone else. It makes me feel great. The weather up here is supposed to be dog shit this weekend. It's supposed to be raining and in the 60s. As soon as I saw it, I was like, thank you, God, because I won't have a single bit of FOMO because everyone's going to be stuck inside like me. But I am. We have at Barstool Sports a zoo crew that I was never a part of because I wasn't a parent. But it's uh, Brandon Walker, Stephen Che, even Nick from uh, Anus Pod for somehow is in it. He doesn't have kids, but he's in the zoo crew. But there's a bunch of people in the zoo crew. I'm finally in. They invited me. Saturday, I'm in the zoo crew. I'm taking the little guy. Wow. Well, That's gonna, big news. Congratulations. Thank you. I made it. I'm going to bundle him up. But that is literally my only plan for the entire weekend. Because uh, I don't know what you do with an infant. What do you do with an infant? I don't know. 
Take him to the Coney Island um, roller coaster. Nightclub. Wooden one. Yeah, yeah. Give him, give that a whirl. Like, oh, uh, you think your neck's getting strong enough for tummy time? We'll give it a yeah. test. We'll get cons. Can I guess what you're doing? Yeah, give it a shot. I don't know that you will, but try Ooh, anyway. Go- well, golfing one of the days. Yes. Okay, and maybe even two of the days. Actually. Two of the days, actually. You're two golfing of two of the days, and then you're going to be super hammered one night at some sort of karaoke-type bar down the shore. With a fire. Uh, there's going to be a, a fire involved. There's going to be some kind of fire to do an Instagram story. Yeah. You know what's, you know what's funny? My, my father always used to say, if, if the mafia really wanted to kill me, it'd be easy because I'm so predictable. <laughs> So, yeah, you true. don't do a whole lot of opsec. You don't switch up you know, like the anti-terrorism <laughs> awareness. You don't you don't abide by those rules. Not at all. But what, you know what? You Stick with what away. you love. I, I'm beyond the point in my life where I need to try Can we talk about how many things ridiculous those standards are for a second. Who the hmm. fuck is varying up their route every day? You find the fastest route home and that's what you do. Yes, right. completely. Yeah. I was I watching this video yesterday. Of, it was about presidents, things that presidents can't do after they leave the office. They, since um, old Big Dick Johnson left office with his big old fucking hammer cock swinging between his legs. Huge <laughs> penis. <laughs> since Very he left meaty. office, there has not been ever a president who drove on public roads. Did you, go, did you guys know that? What? How did, how did... to, after office, they're not allowed to leave. That's one of the reasons why President Bush has such a big ranch is because that's the only spot he's allowed to drive. He ha- He's bought what? an F-250. Oh, wait, after- time out, time out. You mean like them them being in the driver's seat yeah they're not allowed they oh, are not I allowed thought... to drive they can go in cars but okay, they have to have right. like secret service i thought you were saying drivers. they couldn't touch the road i saw i would just get yeah. hovercraft then i'm not touching was... the road i'm above it you know? I, that's so, what i thought i thought you meant they just couldn't go on any roads i was like i don't know how they get anywhere besides a helicopter then because bush was doing this interview and he was talking about how he bought an f-250 after he left off this and he was like I have had this truck for like six years now and it's got like 7,000 miles on it because the only place I can drive it is around town, is around my ranch. That's the only oh. place it goes. It's well, a legit that, ranch truck. But the, you know what? That's great because then that just increases the longevity of the car. So yeah, he's so being, that, he's being practical he's with his money. struggling financially, he'll have to get the return on his, his investment. Exactly. Amen. Exactly. You put that on like Carvana and be like, I'm well below the miles mm. that it should be. Great value. Chaps, um, (laughs) I think, I think chaps, you have a pool now, right? Mm -hmm. Am I hearing that correctly? You have a pool? Yep. Yeah. I wouldn't wouldn't have guessed that. that. I wouldn't have guessed that. Mm -hmm. He FaceTimed me yesterday to show me uh, McCartney doing a can opener into the pool. (laughs) It looked beautiful. (laughs) Pretty good. This kid is athletic as shit. Like came here. We've done like swimming lessons a couple times, but when you don't have a pool every day, it's hard to really catch on. Like if you don't have constant access to water, like me, I, I live by creeks. Like I was basically mm. Huck Finn jumping into black water creeks with alligators and shit in it. That's where I was learning how to swim. McCartney mm. didn't really know how to swim when we moved into this house. We've been here really? for about three months, like mm. knew how like survival could get to the edge, but not sure. like treading water. This kid yesterday, treading water, Five minutes, just hanging out in the deep end, head completely level, like not dripping in where their mouth would get into the water or anything. Top dives level swim the, call. Yep, dives off and can swim all the way to the other side of the pool underwater. It's incredible. Like the way that like has just gotten so much better. And my basketball skills are through the roof right now. My oh, jumper wow. out there is so wet. It's unbelievable. Mm. 
And it's not because you're in a pool. It's not. It That's how I used to swim when I was real little. Before I learned how to like do all the different strokes and, and was on the swim team, I would just dive and then I'd swim underwater like a frog and then come up for air and then go back under. That was yeah, whatever swimming. works. Yeah. yeah. So cons, you're gonna be in your parents' pool this weekend. A little golf, yes. a little parental yes. pooling. Yes. All right. And and I'm I'm hopeful that I've seen the weather reports, same as you, Kate. I'm hoping that it's one of those things where late tomorrow it just decides to change and it gets gorgeous all of a sudden. But either way, Ooh, dog March, shit weather. Yeah. It tomorrow, is Kate is taking basically that Lance Corporal I'm on duty attitude where yeah. If everybody else is doing a 96 and you're on barracks duty, you just pray for a fucking hurricane. Here's or a DUI or something. <laughs> Here's the difference, though. Starting starting Friday, no more mask mandate in New Jersey. Right. No more social distancing in bars. Mm-hmm. So we're back. We're back, baby. So if the weather's bad, find a bar, get comfortable, saddle up. Oh, my God. I can take the baby to bars now. Yeah, because yeah. you can you can even like stand at the bar. You don't you can get service at a bar. You don't have to be at a table anymore. Wow, Irish bars are going to be packed full of them again. All right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah. All right. Let's yeah. get into the actual subjects of what we got going on today. Round number one, we're doing a little combat break dancing. What do we got, Kate? A little bit. This comes to us from David Rosa at Task and Purpose. So first, let me ask you guys. I have two questions because this was a thing when I was in. This makes me feel super old. Did you guys have break dance kids in your high school? Uh, yes. Did yes. you really like yeah, I, where they like, had in the gym, they would get a, they would go behind the cafeteria and get a huge like cardboard box of something. And they would keep that same cardboard box and they would bring it out into the middle of the hallway in between periods. We yes, had but- um, just a whole bunch of dances, the Christmas cotillion, the sophomore semi, all the different proms. So there would always be a, a circle and somebody would start doing some stuff. And I always thought, man, I wish I could do that stuff. Well, we had, they would bring out cardboard boxes in the parking lot after school and they would circle up their cars and they would play the breakdance music and be breakdancing on there. I feel like, like kids. Seven Nation Army, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just haven't seen that. I kind of didn't know people still breakdance, but apparently it's bigger than ever because it's new. It's going to be an Olympic sport now. Who knew? So also second question. I can't. I mean. I think we're devaluing the Olympic sports. Like we have like hacky sack as an Olympic sport. You Shut fucking up. have lawn darts are Olympic sports, fucking quarters and flip cups an Olympic sport. Let's let's stop it. We don't have to be participation trophy with the break dancers. And I also I will, I'm going to take a stance on something. And I think this is going to garner some backlash. I don't love events in the Olympics where it's subjective. So gymnastics, like clearly like, yeah, if you fall, what? you can't get a good score. Oh no, gymnastics but, is not subjective. Are there's you, a rule you, book. No, there's a rule book and stuff, but you get judged and you get a score from judges based on how your routine well, goes in certain events. I don't like subjective moves, stuff. And breakdancing has like specific moves. That's all I'm telling you. No, 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 hold on. Even in football, it's subjective. Like you have, how, how are you, if you score more points than the other team, that's because the way that you get those points, if you have a pass interference, that's oh, a subjective call. Oh, it's a subjective call. Yeah. If you have, stop you're it. telling me that the, in the 2003 national championship game with Miami and Ohio state, that that penalty is not a subjective call that gives them the first down on the one. Okay. So are there, there, I win there the are subjective. Right. No, story. time out. No, I'm going to finish my yes. point. I'm going to finish no, my those point. Those are the facts you and they are talking. undisputed. You stop talking. Yes, there are subjective. You are, there are subjective aspects to every sport, I suppose. Mute is Mike. It's a mutiny on the show. Go ahead, Kate. I feel torn. I value you both in your each unique ways. 
Anyways, my face. Let's pause for a second. Can, can we explain this shirt? What the fuck is going on here, Kate? Pat has a wide array of these in his closet. And I was like, it's does. Memorial no Day more. weekend. It's yeah. Carry yeah. on. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> but it is a woman's shirt, but it's a, it was on his side of the closet. I said, fuck it. Let's go. Mysterious. Anyway, I'm That's sweating like sweating like an oxen in this thing, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> by day, Staff Sergeant Brianna Pritchard is a mechanic who fixes Black Hawk helicopters for the Alaska National Guard. But off the clock, she breaks it down hard. Breakdancing, that is. The Anchorage, Alaska native has 14 years of breakdancing experience, and now she has a shot of competing in the first Olympic breakdancing competitions in 2024. That's right. Breakdancing, called breaking by people in the biz, was made an Olympic sport in December 2020, will debut in 2024 in Paris. I didn't know the 2024 Olympics were going to be in Paris. I know a couple phrases in French. Like what? Uh, Le petit fromage, the tiny. Oh, you're going to go with les incompetents. Les yeah. incompetents. Je Les incompetents. Uh, but she's competed across the country and internationally, and this could be a dream come true. For 14 years, she's been doing it, and she follows the footsteps of her dad, who was breakdancing in high school in the 80s. Uh, and so, I, I, again, I didn't know this was still a big thing. Nearly all of the other breakers in Alaska are men. As a result, Pritchard's style is more masculine and strength-based, that's all right with Pritchard, considering her athletic background. I don't dance like most B girls, because remember they're B boys and B girls, and I feel like I'm going back to the '90s and '80s here, mm-hmm. um, because I was around a masculine type of style. The soldier told the Anchorage Daily News, "I had worked really hard to be as strong as them, as explosive as them, and have as much endurance as them, and had to come up with moves and things to compete on their level." I kind of related to that in being the only woman in my unit for a while and for big chunks of time, because it does push you. Cause you want to prove to them that you can be just as strong and just as tough as them. Mm-hmm. And you end up looking back at that and going like, wow, that made me a better Marine for it. Like it made me better because I pushed myself so hard. I Anyways, mean, obviously being an Olympian is impressive, but of this picture that is out of her doing the breaking, the most impressive thing is that her cargo pockets and her uniform look completely filled with shit and <laughs> none of it is spilled onto the ground. Yeah. Absolutely. So much additional weight there. Yeah, for those who can't see, there's a photo of her upside down doing a one-armed handstand wearing full, I'm going to say it, battle rattle. I hate the term battle rattle. She's wearing full battle rattle upside down in front of a helicopter, one hand, and even her sunglasses are perfectly on. Nothing's falling apart Yeah, her aviators. So she's got it going on. She's won enough competitions to be a contender for the Olympic team, and she's done grueling training to prepare herself. When COVID-19 hit, she took online classes with mentors from Texas to Finland, but due to time zone difference, that meant waking up at three in the morning, Monday through Friday for this one class, uh, especially, I guess, being in Alaska, then an hour of weight training and sprint training to increase her strength and stamina, but it's worth it for Pritchard, whose heart and soul is fully wrapped up in breaking. I can tell you I've jumped out of airplanes before. I've done almost every sport there is and all these thrills. I have never felt the same as I do when I'm dancing. And that's the kind of wild card you want in your unit, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I can might- imagine some of those skills. What if the, you what if you have a scenario where you need some s- secret squirrel type where you have to get into like, oh, I don't know, a museum and you have to do it kind of like uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones did in that one movie with the lasers. Yes. You know what I'm talking she- about? She definitely didn't do it. It was Ocean Swelve, and it was that dude whose name is escaping me. No, this Catherine Zeta Jones did it in a movie too, where she was an art thief. But also, you know where you want Pritchard in your unit? You are deployed somewhere, and you have like maybe you're doing a month of training in Germany, 
and you all, you and your unit go out to this bar. It's kind of shady. You're in an alley. Things get a little rough. The locals, there's about to be a big fight. The Germans, they shh, knives come out. Oh shit. What are we going to do? The Germans are on one side. The sharks are on the other. Exactly. And just be cool boys. <laughs> Real cool. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Here comes Pritchard. All of a sudden jumps in the middle of the whole fiasco, starts break dancing. Nobody wants to fight anymore. The next thing you hear is boom, 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 That's Seven Nation Army, right? Seven Nation Army, yeah, yeah. Traps, entrapment. So I stand corrected. My apologies. But then the Germans are like, oh, did she just spin on her head? Oh, and then the fight's That is the most impressive move that they do. Like the head spinning when they could just go round, 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 round. Unbelievable. Yeah. So pretty Listen, cool. I'll, I'll be I'll be Debbie Downer here. I think that's awesome that she loves dancing and she's very good at it. But I don't think this needs to be an Olympic sport. I'm sorry, I'll stand oh, by wow. that. They have people dancing with balls and really get rid of those get rid of those sports too. Just because you know it's done before doesn't mean we should keep it. There's a lot of sports we need to kick out of the Olympics and bring oh, other sports Mexican in. Who's the Russian honest. guy? Putin. Uh, he is is banging his guy. his the mistress. His mistress is an Who's Olympic. Who's that fucker rides on bears? <laughs> <laughs> Shirtless, right? Uh, his his mistress is an Olympic ball dancer. She like wears yeah, a leotard and dances with a ball. No. Worst Olympic sport you could think of. Ball dancing. Ball but, dancing's uh, up there, yeah. I didn't even know that was until Kate just said it. Not like ballroom yeah, dancing, suspicious. but literally dancing with, with a round ball. Oh, rhythmic gymnastics type yes. stuff. She's mm. a rhythmic. His mistress is a rhythmic I think gymnast. that counts. For me, easily. This is an easy one. Dressage. The horses? That's cool. Are you kidding me? That's really How hard. is that an that's Olympic cool. sport? How's a horse is doing everything? The horse is doing all the work. The and horse again, is like, fighting, blah, blah, blah. like, at least if you're playing polo, you got to swing the hockey stick. Yeah, and you got to score goals. And there's an actual. That's score. when the horse just comes out there and acts like it sees a couple spiders, and that's how you win. <laughs> you guys are so if, if your horse is the most scared horse. Yeah. What about your um, pussy horse? Did you horses? know <laughs> trampolining? That's badass. That's awesome. I would say, but did you see uh, Simone Biles, Biles, her Biles, Biles, Biles. her new fucking vault? She basically jumps to the moon. She She, does three spins in midair or something like that. It's crazy. Also, she has a crystal. One more thing. She has a crystal goat that she has on her, her leotard. How much a crystal goat. It's you look closely at her uniform. She's got a goat like greatest of all time. She's got this crystal little goat embroidered on her uniform now that's a flex that's a flex she deserves it anyway con do you want to explain your puka shell bracelet that you have on what puka shell bracelet that i have on you have on a bracelet what is it wooden beads oh yeah it's just beads yeah yeah yeah. i've been wearing these for no i've been wearing these for a long time now oh i didn't know you had recently been to jamaica I didn't know you were a youth pastor. Let's let's move on to round number two. We're doing a little move goofing. This story comes to us from Bennett, Colorado, where a military family made their way from Virginia to Colorado and didn't have a chance to move in before thieves stole their moving truck with all their belongings inside. That takes Porch Pirate to a whole new level. certainly Mm. does. It certainly does. I understand being a Porch Pirate because it's kind of like getting a mystery box. Like it would be fun like if you opened it up and you're like oh cool playstation 5 sweet but if you open it up you're like uh tampons again that would stay uh, right yeah, unless true. of course you were experiencing a heavy flow heavy flow yeah um, evans silas and his wife stacy and their three girls were excited when they received orders that would bring their family to colorado silas is, is in the air force and he's starting a new job at buckley air 
Air Force Base. So we moved from Virginia. We moved across the country, packed up our stuff into a 27-foot Penske motor truck, and they went on a four-day drive. They pulled into a parking lot of a hotel near the Denver International Airport, which many people say have a lot of haunted, um, unscrupulous activities happens there. Mm-hmm. And the, ne- the next morning, they would drive to their new home and unpack. When they woke up in the morning, you're going to know this feeling, Chapsy. Yeah. When they woke up and they looked outside, their old truck was missing. Thanks a lot, Kate, for that reminder. Uh-huh. I was hoping and hoping that maybe it just been towed. But unfortunately, that was not the case. Someone came in the middle of the night with the intention specifically of stealing and they stole everything from us. And that's not an exaggeration at that point. It is literally everything having to do that and go through that process would be terrible there are Hmm. boxes full of heirlooms all of his military uniforms outdoor gear they brought for their adventures in colorado photos their christmas shit the whisker do's the wesker don'ts with or without the scooter sticks right yeah Mm -hmm. um stuff my from my military career stuff that i've worked hard to achieve and earn military coin collection is gone We've lost some silverware, all of our Christmas ornaments, everything we put together over time, memories, lots of memories. It really does suck um, that that happened to that family because even though it's insured, obviously, because it's a military move and they're going to get some of the money back, yeah, you that can't doesn't replace matter. the shit. Right. You can't replace well, the stuff that you have. Right. Also, even smaller stuff, inexpensive stuff, like understandably, Chaps, you're talking about how upset McCartney was that someone stole their Pokemon cards out mm-hmm. of your wife's car. Imagine this guy's got three little girls. All their stuff is gone and moving is really hard on kids. So at least they have the comfort of having their things coming with them. Well, now even like that's their gone. Animals, their blankets, right. their favorite pajamas, like so all those shitty, things. dude. It sucks so hard. Um, but hopefully like that kind of stuff, the police have to have a bolo out for all the local pawn shops and stuff, right? Like- yeah, but like to your point, Kate, like if it's all a bunch of little knickknacks and things, some of those things that have real, no, really no value whatsoever, except to the family, what's even the point of stealing that stuff? There's no point. I mean, they yeah. probably just go through and get like the TVs and things. Right. And yeah, and then ditch trash the everything the else. So maybe they can Fucking still thieves, find man, the, the worst. That sucks, dude. Yeah, I've always terrible. said- that that I, I thank God I have a, a good conscience in my head. I would I don't steal because you just have to think. All right, if this was my possession and I came back and it was gone, I would feel horrible. Why would you uh, want to put well, that feeling I, on someone what, else? I think stealing from people, stealing from stores—that's fun. I will say, in my high school days, I maybe had sticky fingers at Claire's a time or two, and oh, uh, yeah. yeah, I definitely also, stole the Michael Jackson Free Willy album from the PX when on NAS <sighs> Pax Trevor. My most impressive one, I stole, a f- this was when I was younger days. I'm sorry. I, maybe, maybe not me. Maybe a friend of mine stole a live fish from Walmart. I'm sorry. How did you manage that? I think you should rephrase that, Kate. You rescued a fish from Walmart. I did. Well, that's what we considered it because it was a huge wall of betta fish. And we said, well, put one or two. You guys, and then you got like, hold me like the river, river Jordan. Jordan. Seven Nation Army, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, uh, and when I was in college, my big steal was when I would go to parties, if it was like a douchey guy's house or a frat house, I never felt bad. I wouldn't steal from my, but just toiletries, need a little soap, some shampoo, some, uh, some toothpaste. All right, wait, t- all right let's, 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 let's unpack that a little if bit. If there was okay, good so, stuff in the fridge. Okay, so you go to the frat party. You say, like, oh, he's got the dub, Macaroni the dub boxes. that I like. Yeah, well, oh, not dub, put- but if it's like, what if it's a uh, half a bottle of country apple from our friends at Bath and Body Works? Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Coming with so what? A little bit just- of love spray. 
Our but you have like a huge, Secret. a huge purse that you're just traipsing all over the place for the rest oh, of the night with this? I was a backpack girl, pal. I always have oh, a backpack. went to parties with backpacks? I went to parties. I would go to Sheets before the party, stock up on the sandwiches I knew I would want later and take them to the party with me for after the party. I had everything. I would put okay. steel rolls of toilet paper, everything. Think oh, about yeah, this. My- what if you went back to college and you were able to do things again, knowing what you know now? Imagine the flex if Kate shows up in her Coleman cooler backpack mm-hmm. and oh. she gets to the party. Everybody, it's like, let's say 1130, 2330 for you military types. Mm-hmm. If she gets there, she opens up her backpack and it is just chock full of chicken nuggets. Oh, oh, yeah. All right. That, that I'm into. And then I'm the front the pocket that it has like the little zipper on the front and it's lined. That's filled with like honey mustard or something like that. People would be over the moon. I would always get like five or six Bavarian ham pretzel melts drenched <laughs> in honey mustard from sheets always. And oh, they wow. would be That's in my pack warm and toasty. I'd be tossing them out like Frisbees to my girlfriends on the walk back from the party. Oh yeah. Hey, you're looking sure. a little drunk. Don't get too drunk. Here's a, here's a fucking pretzel sandwich. Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. Hey, it's not me. always so bad. But I, in this I mean, case, I guess. in this <laughs> yeah. case it is. Don't steal yeah, from Hopefully them these people get all of their stuff back and make some new memories. That really stinks, man. Like there especially is, knowing what happened to my kiddo this week. It's just terrible. It hurts. If you are in the Denver area, the news channel Denver 7, I guess, they're, they have a Help the Salas family uh, on the Denver 7 website. You can go. All funds go towards helping the family rebuild what a cruel thief took away, sending good vibes their way. Also, I can't see a Penske truck without thinking about, of course, Home Alone, uh, the, in the back of the Penske truck. I playing thought you were going to say the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh, Jesus, no. chaps. No, no. I mean, Jesus. Goes, I mean, that's what goes to my mind, honestly. Oh, my God. You get a John Candy playing polka. Yeah, oh, it's my different. Gosh. Did, two right. different perspectives on life, I guess. Indeed. We're truly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's go to round number three, where the driver that we're going to talk to has a different perspective on life after his whirlwind of a week that he's had out at the racetrack in Charlotte. Here he is. You're going to love this interview. All right, now it's 0 o'clock 30. I'm privileged to have a guy that's going to be racing for Barstool Sports after just a couple days. Um, So to give the listeners a little bit of a background of what happened here, we're having Keith McGee on. He is going to drive a NASCAR truck series in Charlotte for the Memorial Day weekend race that's coming up. But when we stepped out on, I believe it was Monday morning, we stepped out of the podcast and I checked Twitter. I had probably five or six tags that were like, look at this dude. He's a disabled veteran, Air Force veteran, lost his sponsorship. I texted Dave right away. I was like, this guy is an electric factory. I checked out your Instagram. I was like, we got to we gotta sponsor it. He stepped up and did it. Kind of walk us through what your emotions were. <laughs> I guess it was Tuesday, Monday yeah, or so- Tuesday. No, it was Monday. It was Monday. So Monday morning, I was... I was feeling really discouraged, you know, like having the sponsor pull out this, this race racing on Memorial day weekend, you know, being the only veteran that's racing this weekend was, uh, you know, it was a big race for me. Like I, I wanted to be there, you know, just with the, you know, just the aura around it and what it means for, for everything. And then to have a sponsor back out last minute, you know, like it, it's really difficult to find sponsors that want oh, to come out and help out in, uh, in racing. And so to have one pull out and, you know, not really have any other options, you know, was, was really discouraging. So Monday morning, I was, I was definitely, you know, definitely feeling it, definitely feeling the pressure, trying to do everything I could to, to make it happen. And uh, I decided, you know, stranger things have happened on social media and the power of the internet. And so I, I threw it out there on, on Twitter and 
you know, I think Monday morning I had 200 followers on Twitter and uh, a few of them jumped on and started tagging people. I saw them tagging you guys and I was like, hey, that's, that'd be pretty cool. Like, I'd love to have, I'd love to have you guys on board. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I noticed that like it was getting a lot of traction. And then I saw Dave uh, retweeted my tweet and I was like, at first I was like, that's not, that's not really the real Dave Fornoy. Like there's no way. And then I looked at his, his Twitter and I was like, Oh man, like this is really Dave. And then I checked my, uh, my DMS and he was in the message request section and, you know, just said, what do you need? And I, I told him and he, he said, let's make it happen. And, you know, so it was Monday was such a roller coaster ride, like from really just that discouraged feeling to, you know, being on cloud nine and realizing, you know, like I'm going to, it's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to make this race. Yeah. And to give you a little behind the scenes on our side, I texted Dave and Dave is notorious. If he doesn't get back to you within like two minutes, you're not going to hear anything back because he gets so yes. many text messages and you just get oh, pushed down so far. And I didn't hear anything back for like 15, 20 minutes. So I started texting some other people that are higher up at Barstool. And then 20 minutes later, he texts me. He's like, we got it. You're good. He's we're, we're going to sponsor it. I was like, fuck yes. And then I went back to your Instagram again because I, I wanted to wait to write the blog. I checked it out and honest to God, it looks like you should have a baby with our co-host Kate because her, her boyfriend that she has a baby with big time mullet guy. You're a mullet guy, air force veteran could not fit in with the zero block 30 crew anymore. Like it's just yeah. not possible. I want to give our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit because I went and read some of your bios and your story is pretty amazing. Like the, of what you're doing now and how you got there. So you started your NASCAR career or your NASCAR interest came from your dad and living in California, you were, you had the intimidator was your favorite. Dale Earnhardt was your favorite driver. And now yeah. you're driving the number three car on Memorial day weekend. What I, is that going to feel like? Uh, it's so hard to describe. Like it couldn't be more fitting, like everything, like coming together, like to run the number three in NASCAR is like, what? It's like we're in 23 in basketball. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like how, like, amazing it is to just be able to get in such an iconic number on memorial day weekend you know with everything that's happened just like it's i think it's going to take a long time for it to fully set in like you know like the what it means and you know that feeling but i'm so incredibly grateful for just this opportunity to even you know be able to sit here and talk to you right now and to be able to get out there with you guys on the track and run the number three uh it's it's going to be wild and your your start in racing, I thought, honest to God, I, I saw, I was like, there's no way this dude is on a NASCAR circuit and he started out in go-karting as an adult. How did that happen? 35 years old. 35 five years, years old out there on the go-kart Five track. years ago, I had never been in a race car, right? Never. It, it was a childhood dream, but I'd never been able to do it. And uh, I started going to an indoor car track in Alaska you know, they opened up and I was like, cool, I'm going to go do this. This is probably the best I'm ever going to get. So, you know, like I'm going to go out and make it, make it happen. And uh, I went and I, I was good. And I think the biggest thing I started to take away from it was when I was on the cart for like those 15 minutes, like I didn't have any of the worries, you know, like I, I've got a PTSD diagnosis and like all the things that, that would trigger me, like they didn't on the go-kart. And I felt, I felt complete and I felt whole and it was like such an intoxicating feeling, you know, like it was like the best form of therapy I could probably have asked for. And so I kept going, like I'd go like four or five times a week to the go-kart track. 
and pretty soon I'm the number one driver in the state, set the track record. I was winning, I think out of 115 races, I had like 90 or 80 first place finishes, like an, wow. like an ungodly amount of first place finishes. And uh, so I just kept going like four to five times a week, was number one in the state, won a karting championship there. And one night, some some older gentleman approached me and said, hey, you ever thought of racing in NASCAR? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's my entire life I've thought of that. Like, that's all I want to do. And that seems like a bullshit Netflix movie, right? Like, you're just on a, a go-kart circuit in Alaska. Next thing you know, you get picked out of the, like, they're like, you're really good. Why don't you try the biggest stage that the sport has? Yeah, like, either that or the guy wanted to cut me into a million pieces and shit my body around the country, right? Like, <laughs> it's just one of those things that doesn't happen. Right. So, um. But anyway, that got me into the semi-pro levels of NASCAR, and uh, I did really good. I got a lot of national attention from it, and, you know, that led me to run the K&N series down in uh, the West Coast. It's a NASCAR's first level touring series, and NASCAR makes us go through these levels to kind of, like, kind of prove to NASCAR that we have the capabilities to be doing what we're doing, so we don't just, you know, spend a bunch of money and jump into something and wreak havoc on everything. So I went and did that, and... uh, was in really, really uh, low budget team. And I did a lot better than I was expected to do. Had a couple uh, top 10 finishes and got invited to go down and do testing at Daytona, which, you know, is a track that as a kid, I always dreamed of mm-hmm. driving on. So I went down and I think I blew everybody's expectations out of the water in the testing and uh, posted some really fast times. And that that led to more opportunities for me to, to jump up to the truck series level. And, you know, here I am, made my first start April 17th at uh, Richmond, Virginia, went out, did, did good, started dead last and finished 30th. So, you know, had a, had a really fun time. And I think that stories like yours is very important to li- We've been talking about mental health pretty often here on the show and listening to a story like yours is so important to a lot of people because there's times I'm sure with the PTSD diagnosis, because of the way that the media often frames PTSD, you, you, and I, I can't speak for you, but a lot of people feel like you have almost, you turn into broken goods a little bit. Like you're like, yeah. am I going to be able to really chase after my dreams, accomplish these things? Or am I just another statistic of a disabled veteran? Is that who I am? And seeing a story like yours, like, no, you can be that. And you could do so much more. You could still accomplish your dreams. You just have to take these little mental vacations. And it sounds like that's what go-kart racing was for you, where you're having difficulty in certain areas and then in counseling they tell you have a spot where you can take a mental vacation for you it seems like that's behind the wheel of a race car yeah and it's like when I'm behind the wheel I feel like I'm just a different person like I you know I get out of the race car and it's kind of one of those moments like oh my oh my god I was just doing 180 with 40 of my friends like that's insane like it's (laughs) It's crazy you You wouldn't pass a operational risk management quiz if you're trying to do that on the weekend and you're still here not not at all so, you know, for me, it was, it was just that escape, you know, like I could go and escape, you know, reality essentially. And, and, you know, when I first started this journey into NASCAR, I, I really didn't want to bring up the whole disabled veteran part, you know, just because I didn't want, I don't want people to feel a certain way about me. Like I'm, I'm yeah. just, a, I'm a person, it's a part of my life. It doesn't define who I am. Yes. It's just something that I've had to, I've had to deal with and learn how to, to cope. But, uh, going to these races we have to do autograph sessions and I couldn't help but notice the amount of veterans that were coming through the autograph lines you know you could see that some of them had you know visible disabilities and so I started to do research on disabled veterans in NASCAR and I was really kind of 
shocked and saddened that there hadn't been any, you know, and it was mm-hmm. kind of like that, that feeling that, you know, when you get out of the military, you've given up the best years of your life. And now you just, you know, work at target, you know, have a family and, you know, drink a lot of beer. And that's, you know, I think that is kind of a misconception that, you know, I think we should break that, you know, you can go out and do whatever you want to do, you know? Yeah. Just- and I think between guys like you and we've had Jesse Awuji on the show as well, he's doing great things. I, I'm just really excited that you have the personality that you do because a lot of times people look at military veterans and you have to be like grunt style apparel and like really yeah. after it. And then you go to your, your Instagram page and it's you with a bleach blonde mullet with stripes in the side of your head posed in some superimposed Photoshop polar bears in front of some Alaska mountains. And I'm like, yes, like that is what a majority of veterans are like. We're just fun. We enjoy having a good time and occasionally we like taking some risks. That's the reason why we ended up in the military. And that's the reason why you ended up behind the wheel of a race car. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the keys to success in life are taking those risks, right? Like, you know, in October, I was in Alaska working a you know, nine to five job. I had a comfortable career. They let me go travel the race, but deep down inside, I knew that I wanted to be racing more and I wanted to be involved in racing. And to do that, I'd have to move to North Carolina. And so I went into work one day and said, Hey, you know, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. I don't want to be known as the guy that was a part-time race car driver and, and worked on radar sites in Alaska. I was like, I want to be known as the, the guy that took risks and, you know, hopefully changed some lives with my story. And I told him I was quitting and walked away from a really comfortable career, drove 8,000 miles to North Carolina with How all of my friends. Oh, it was, well, some parts I got pretty quick, but, uh, <laughs> you know, there might be. See, I think that that's one thing. If you have like an act, they should give you a NASCAR license. And if you get caught going like 130 on the highway and it's not like dangerous and nobody's around, they should be like, oh, well, this guy knows what he's doing. You're fine. Yeah, get a pass. I got a speeding ticket doing 71 and a 65. And, uh, and it's, uh, I went to court and I was like, you know, I'm kind of a professional at this. And it didn't, it didn't help. I but, was, uh, I, I was fortunate. I got to go to Daytona too, and just ride in one of the pace cards. And I believe it was Rusty Wallace. That was the driver of the, one of the cars nice. that was taking us around. And he was telling us how difficult it is because a lot of the guys that are driving, they drive themselves home from the track or they'll drive themselves to the hotel or whatever. And yeah. he said he got into his regular Camaro that he drove after the race was over and he said pulling out of Daytona and getting onto the international speedway there where the speed limit is like 35, 45 miles an hour. He's like, you have no idea how difficult it is to go from driving nearly 200 miles an hour to dropping down to 35, 40. He said, it feels like yeah. you're pulling your own teeth out. Yeah. Like you're going so slow. It's like, this <laughs> is horrible. I was like, when I left Daytona after the testing, I was exact same feeling. I was like, we're going down the front stretch. Uh, in front of this, the uh, racetrack and you're doing 25, 35 miles an hour. And you're just like, this is so slow. Like, this is, I'm not, I can't do this. And do you think the principles of almost like the way the military does it, you know, like you start out on boot camp, and then that's the initial training. Then they take you to your MOS school, your tech school that you have, and then you go, and then you're a young troop, you're a junior enlisted person, and then you get more and more experience. That's almost the same path that you're taking in racing, right? Like where you started yeah. out go-kart and you're doing baby steps all the way up, eventually hoping to get to the big boy stuff. Yeah. yeah and what definitely. you're doing now. Yeah, it's uh, there's definitely that progression, you know, like from going from the go-karts to the wheeling series to the K&N series, the trucks into uh, Xfinity would be next and then on to the Cup series. 
So yeah, you know, it's just a, a progression that you got to go through and, you know, do your time and, you know, for, but at this level, it's, it's really getting your story out there and getting, getting a, you know, following and, and letting people know who you are and what you're about, you know, and being marketable and, you know, hopefully, hopefully that's what uh, I can do. Hopefully people start, you know, hearing my name more and picking up on my story and reaching out and sharing their stories. I, I love when, when uh, followers of mine tell me their stories and, you know, it's, uh, it's really encouraging to hear. hear and I think that. the people that are listening, cause we're two Marines and an army guy that usually are on the podcast. So we don't get to hear from air force uh, people that often. What was your job in the air force? What did you do there? Uh, I was a radar specialist on the AWACS. Um, so I'd I'm going to pretend the, like I know that what that is. What, just for those who are listening that might not know, like I very clearly do. <laughs> what does that, what does that mean? So AWACS is the airborne warning and control system. It's the okay. airborne radar system. It's the plane with the giant dish on the roof of it. Okay. Looks like it's flying around with a uh, space shuttle on top. So that's uh, the one I don't understand how it flies. Like uh, that plane looking at it, you're like, that thing should not be in the air. Yeah, and it, it shouldn't. It flies really slow. We flew from Alaska to Japan. It was like 15-hour flight with, you know, a couple airborne refuelings, and it was it was miserable. But Oh, so your job yeah. was actually inside the plane, too? No, no, I, I didn't like flying, so I just fixed it when it landed. But, you know, when we go TDY, we'd have to jump on board and get ferried across the, the Pacific on it. But, uh, yeah, we'd let the college guys break it, then the high school guys would fix it. That was how it how it worked out there you go that's awesome and one more thing i i i gotta imagine coming from where you come from your background your mom would be so proud like i don't know if a lot of people know this but she's an olympian yeah Gold so medals, my mom's even my mom's I, I take a lot away from my mom my mom taught me some huge lessons when i was a kid so in uh it was early 1980s my mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis paralyzed on the right side of her body she was told she'd never walk again and uh, in 1988, she won an Olympic gold medal in downhill skiing in Calgary, um, you know, with full use of her limbs. Uh, a few years later, she decided she wanted to walk away from the sport and, and raise her kids. Her goal wasn't to become famous. It was just to, you know, prove to herself that she could really do whatever she wanted to as long as she believed in herself. And, you know, the lessons that taught me as a kid have, uh, you know, helped me out with, with so much in my life, especially following my, uh, my accident and, you know, kind of just proving to myself that I can do whatever I want to. I just have to believe hard enough in myself. There you go. And I think that that lesson is a great lesson for all those that are listening and going to be watching you on Friday night on Fox sports, right? On Fox sports one, Fox sports one Friday night. Um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. I cannot wait to see what you do, Keith. Uh, last time you said your goal, I, I believe I read an article on MSN that your goal was to come out clean to finish you finish in the top 30 ZBT squad is going to be rooting you on to do uh, to, let's, let's shoot for top 20. Let's just keep yeah. going. Steps up, steps up. We don't want to put too unrealistic expectations on you. Yeah. Top 20s, top 20 is definitely my goal for this race. Uh, this one, this one, uh, the goal, not, not to be clean. I, you know, I'm going to lean on this truck. I'm going to use my equipment and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, hammer down and get after it, you know, top 20 or, or the wall is the goal. So. There you go. Love to hear it. Keith, thank you so much, man. We're, we're honored to help you out and be a part of it this weekend. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. Ed, do you want to hear about my mullet? Oh, yeah. Let's hear about the mullet. So uh, the picture of me with the blonde mullet, uh, I think last May I decided for Halloween I wanted to be Joe Exotic. You know, Joe, Joe Exotic was huge during quarantine. Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, this is going to be good. There's going to be a lot of Joe Exotics for Halloween, but how many of them are going to have the actual mullet? Right. So end of May, I bleached my mullet completely white. And I, I didn't go anywhere. I watched one YouTube video and was like, I can do this myself. Bleached it myself, <laughs> which uh, come to find it out. Looked I good. I mean, to do it yourself from a box kit, you did a great job. No, it wasn't a box kit. I went and got like the real bleach that oh. they use. But uh, apparently you're only supposed to bleach it once, like every few days to get it to where it needs to go. And I bleached it three times in one day. And surprisingly, none of my hair fell out. My entire scalp peeled, like it mm -hmm. callous and my whole scalp peeled, but it stayed. And then, you know, I let it grow and it's, uh, you know, turn it's out a marketable easy. tool. You need to, you need to go maybe go to Sally Beauty before the race and get it going again. I'm not saying, yeah, I, I think it's a good idea. It, it completely killed my hair. So I don't know if I'll ever go back to, to bleach blonde again, but uh, it was like walking around with a head of straw for the past year. So it's finally, finally back to healthy and the blondes, the blonde's still there a little bit, but it's, uh, it's grown out. So who knows? There you go. And then while you're there, I know you're a single dude. You'd be making a mistake if you didn't put down on in Charlotte on your tender or whatever you use the number three driver for the NASCAR truck series. That's got to put some asses yeah, in the seats. You know, that, that would, uh, that would definitely help out. Um, I'm definitely single. So if there's any, uh, any single ladies out there want to be a NASCAR driver, shoot me a DM. <laughs> there you go. Love it. All right, Keith. Thanks so much, man. We'll look, we'll look forward to checking back in with you after the race. Thank you. And are you coming? I, I heard Dave said I'm, you might come. I'm trying to, man. I got some things going on. I have some uh, counseling appointments that I'm trying to push back. But if I could be there, I'm going to. Okay. Sounds right, good. Brother. Look forward to it, man. All right. Thank you. See ya. Thank you. It's awesome whenever I get done with an interview and then somebody like you go and you see their Twitter timeline. And he was just so genuinely excited. Like there's these times in your life where you get the opportunity because you want to be an appreciative person all the time. Like, and things break your way occasionally and you are appreciative, but then you have those like Mount Rushmore times in your life where, where you can point back into and be like, this was my big break. This legitimately might be a big break for him. Like mm -hmm. having this type of attention, racing well, coming through at the last moment, a big brand like Barstool being behind him and wanting him to do well. I think it's going to be great. I can't wait for people to watch. I'm going to do live stream at the top of the show on for Fox Sports 1 is where the race is going to be. So make sure you go to Zero Block 30's Instagram. Maybe we'll do it on YouTube as well so we can watch the start of the show together, give our guys some gusto. And I love his attitude. Like he knows this is only like his third or fourth start on the truck series. He's not going out there with delusions of grandeur. He's attacking this thing with the mission objective, like General Mattis would say. You need if you're going to go do this, you have to have an objective that's winnable. He says his objective is to finish top 20. I respect that. Like he knows what type of car he has. The ones that win constantly have like way bigger teams, way more money. He doesn't have that, but he's a good driver. He's going to get after it. And he stated, I don't give a shit about ending up clean. I mm -hmm. don't care if I, I'm either going to finish top 20 or I'm going into the wall. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I like it. That was an interesting learning about NASCAR. I always just thought like, well, if you're a good driver, you should just win. Right. And it's so much more than just being a good driver and how it's probably like being have, Carl Anthony Towns on the Timberwolves. <laughs> like yeah. you, you could be a great driver, but if you don't have the supporting cast around you, you're going to be a ninth seat at best. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So and if you don't have the money to have a cool car. So thanks. Huge. Thanks to Dave and to yeah. Barcelona for stepping up like that. That's it's just not a testament to Dave. Once again, coming through for the veteran community. I was going to say like barely making a fuss about it. Yeah, he, he definitely could have made more of a fuss about that. And he just didn't. He just kind of yeah. did it. And it was like, oh, hum. but I'm just I don't know if I'm 
I'm not surprised anymore or, or if I still get surprised or what, but you see an example like this with NASCAR last week with the let them play classic and countless other examples where Barstool just steps up really kind of no questions asked. I mean, I know they do some questions and some due diligence, but they just step up and you don't see other brands just blindly helping people the way that Barstool does. And the charitable aspect is really the only spot that the Barstool difference that we talk about doesn't exist. Like you put it together, the Barstool fund raising $40 million. You have stuff like this, Dave giving 150, us raising $250,000 a couple of years ago. It's just that kind of thing that happens. It's one of the biggest reasons why I'm so proud to work at this company. Um, Let's move on to round number four, Memorial Day weekend. One thing that happened this week surrounding Memorial Day, Governor Cuomo of New York, came out and said that he wanted to I can read the tweet I have it right here okay go ahead Kate yeah so he tweeted out a few days ago this Memorial Day now I fuck it up can you read can you read (laughs) this memorial this Memorial Day weekend flags will be flown at half staff and New York landmarks will be illuminated in red white and blue and I'm reading that part I'm like that's lovely but wait there's more to honor essential workers who lost their lives to COVID-19 we owe these brave individuals a profound thank you and hold them and their families in our thoughts. He's such an okay. idiot. Okay. I He's hate to be normally. Idiot. I feel like on this show, we roll our eyes at veterans who are like, Hey, this thing is about veterans or military. In this yeah, case, because usually I, when they do that, it's not <laughs> like right, exactly. they're like kneeling during the national anthem. That has nothing to do with veterans pride at all. Month, veterans only get one day. Like those people are the worst. But in this case, I do strongly feel, I know chaps, you tweeted about it too. Let's keep Memorial Day specifically about our fallen military members. You want to keep Christ numbers. and Christmas? Let's keep the troops to Memorial Day, the fallen Please. troops. Thank like that's you. the way that it should. There's a litany of other weekends that you can assign this to, and it's a beautiful tribute. And yes, last week, last week was first responder week. Like you had that whole week was first responder week. You have a, an entire month of doing other. Just pick any other time, and not because we're gatekeeping, like because this it's for the gold star families. Like, and if you know some of these families intimately, the people who have lost that were killed in action, actually in a combat zone, this weekend is something that weighs heavily on them. And as soon as the calendar turns to May, it's something that they start thinking about more and more and more piggybacking while other great causes are good. I understand like the, what the essential workers, frontline workers and all that did during the pandemic obviously is incredibly important. That doesn't mean that you have to pack it onto this one thing. This Memorial Day is Memorial Day, and that's it. And in doing some of the research for this show and talking about Memorial Day, I went back and was trying to find some of the great speeches about Memorial Day because there's been a bunch. George George H.W. Bush gave one in Tokyo and talked about the sacrifices that people made there where they were actually still buried from World War II in Japan. And he talked about the sacrifices that people were still making even in smaller operations and like the special operators community and how – veteran cemeteries across the country are filled with those patriots who sealed freedom with their sacrifices speeches like that speeches like what ronald reagan gave in 1982 like those kind of speeches are fantastic i think one that gets lost and it really is about memorial day and about that sacrifice is the gettysburg address and i went through and read the gettysburg address and some of the language there i think is very applicable to where we are at right now and i just wanted to read just a second for that um actually i'll just read the whole thing four score and seven years ago our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation 
conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war, and we have come to dedicate a portion of that field as the final resting place for those who gave their, their lives that the nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or distract. The world will little note, nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they fought here have to thus nobly advance. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to this great task remaining before us. And this is the part that I love that from these honored dead, we take this increased de devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall give a new birth to a new freedom and that the government by the people for the people and by the people shall not perish from the earth. I think that's, incredibly powerful like that's the yeah. reason why you sign up is to have that last <laughs> dedication of devotion to a greater cause and focusing on those who gave their life on the battlefield is what this weekend is about and memorial day actually it used to be known as decoration day and that started with the civil war uh, which ended in the spring of 1865 and claimed more lives than any conflict in u.s history i honestly i did not know that i should have known that um, and it required the establishment of the country's first national cemeteries. And by the late 1860s, various towns and cities began holding springtime tributes to these fallen soldiers, and they would decorate their graves with flowers and prayers, thus Decoration Day. It didn't become Memorial Day, an official federal holiday, until 1971. Interesting. Uh, but, uh, I, I they, thought it was much older than that. They estimate between 620 and 750 thousand soldiers died in the civil war among not even including an undetermined number of civilians so that's that's absolutely insane so that puts that speech into a little more perspective too and and why we have memorial day uh that used to be known as decoration day so something something to think about there no doubt yeah. and we took to instagram and twitter this week to talk about some of the names and we wanted to highlight some of the names we have a video that's coming out on monday that will do just that we thought that we wouldn't get as many responses as we did we got around four or five hundred responses combined wow. in those spots so obviously reading each one of those would isn't isn't something that we can do like on right. the pod. and i but go and see the names on on Instagram and on Twitter on Monday, it's going to be out there. And I think you'll be touched by just the impact that these people have had on our listeners, our followers on social media and things like that have. Kate, you had one memory that you wanted to mark about a Memorial Day experience that was very special to you. Yeah, it's something I'd like to continue doing from uh, this year with the baby. It's a little tough, but in the future, I would like mm, to do something. Each more, wow, yeah, wow. baby excuse. I could put him in the Bjorn and get out there. Yo, by um, the way, he looked uncomfortable in that thing the other day with that picture you posted. Like he was like smushed. Was that right? Yeah, no, I, I definitely had him in it wrong. But he looked cute in the picture that he had teeth. <laughs> Thank you That's for adding true. teeth to my son, chaps. Thank you. That nightmares. Nightmares about I didn't do it. A listener did it. Uh, <laughs> they took it and did it, and it turned out beautiful, right? Like he Thank you. lovely pearly whites on him. T especially mm. still breastfeeding. It's a terrifying, terrifying sight to me. Um, but Legit Memorial Day weekend, 
it is cool. So many towns still do stuff for their, their local cemeteries and everything. So Woodlawn Cemetery up in the Bronx has, you can sign up to put flags on. They have marked where all the veterans graves are. And it's a really, really old New York city cemetery. And you sign up and they give you a certain section of the cemetery to go place flags and decorate. And they didn't just do that though. Like here's these graves. They've got historians to look up each of those veterans and tell you their story as you go. Mm. So as you're putting the flag, you know, you're kind of following the map, you put the flag in and you see that this veteran served in world war one. And that one time in the battle of whatever, they ran across this field and did this and that. So as you're placing it, you really feel connected to each military member that you're placing the flag for. It just put it, it was such a cool idea. I don't know if other cemeteries do that, but I thought it was such a cool cemetery. So if you have time to go to your local military cemetery and maybe just get on your phone and start looking up some of the names, it's, I don't know, it's just a really cool connection to the past and history and made me appreciate it that much more. So pretty, pretty cool. No doubt about it. I, yeah. I think that those types of things that you're able to do and just see the impact of the people who are standing there, like the the families, I think it really speaks volumes and really will open your eyes of what they actually went through. I, I, one of my favorite Memorial Day memories is when we went to the race car track in Charlotte. I think it was three years ago at this point, two or three years mm -hmm. ago. And we got to be and see Tori Sanka, one of my friends, and see her husband, her late husband's name on the car and see how much that that even though it was years later after his death, mm. how much of an impact that made that people were still remembering the American public, those that have lost their family members or friends need to know years later, decades later, we still care and we should care. And that's why we want to highlight it here. And one of those stories that I came across over the week was a story that's incredibly powerful in that vein, that uh, it's a young man who died. His name was Josh and his friend, Chris penned a letter an open letter that he recorded giving out. And he's, he talked before the video actually starts, like where he um, releases the letter. He goes through some of the mental anguishes that he's had along the way, because there is this form of survivor's guilt. And I've heard Dakota Meyer talk about it where it's difficult. And that's something like he gets lauded for his bravery, but he remembers at the same time that his bravery was the result of the rest of his team getting killed and it's something that he has to live with on a daily basis knowing that he's lauded as this hero and he wishes that he would have been more heroic and was be able to save them and you have that as a survivor's guilt where you you monday morning quarterback it over and over again if i would if i did this differently would my friend still be here and you hear some of that anguish in in this letter so i want I want everybody to listen. This is how we're going to close out the show today. It's fantastic. It's from Chris Oakley. He has a website that you can go check it out. We'll put that in the link of the bio of the show as well. Here's Chris Oakley talking about his friend, Josh. So, I think it's like mental health awareness month. And then Memorial Day is Monday, which I only recently learned. I don't pay much attention to that, really. It's kind of every day um, for me. But I've struggled with mental health for a long time, and I'm trying a new approach and taking it serious. So, I'd like to read to you a letter I wrote to 
friend, brother, an inspiration. Something very important to me. It was hard to write this letter, but I think it's helped me some. Maybe this is even a bigger step. Dear Josh, ten years have almost passed since you charged that mountainside. Wow, we were really just boys back then. I can't begin to tell you how many times I have watched the 20th of June 2011 play over in my head. Often, when I am performing some mind-numbing task that presents little to no true value. It was me in the turret, on the Mark 19, D'Amico driving, Lieutenant Ferrara as TC, his first mission with us, I think, and you and Jones in the back, ready to dismount and show the enemy the wrath of our tenacious and legendary unit. If I remember correctly, we were QRF for some A&A who were under attack. A strange part of that day is how everything happened so fast, according to my memory. In my mind, it was simultaneous. In reality, I know we were there into the night. Adrenaline sure is a fun and wild ride. I think it was right around the time we pulled up when I noticed ANA soldiers bringing down a casualty, each soldier gripping onto a different limb as they struggled to find footing on the shale-covered ground. His head was limp, but bounced in cadence with each step and slide they took. If my memory is correct, he was shot in the back of the head. I had no idea one of those rounds would shortly be directed at you. I will never forget hearing we had a casualty over the radio. I know it was loud at the time, but I remember it much differently. I remember everything fell silent from my perspective. I was ready to destroy any threat by any means necessary. As the nine line was... Read right over the net, your battle roster number was the clear giveaway. I heard Juliet, Juliet, and I knew immediately that it was you they had taken from us. My heart shattered, but boy, we fought like hell. We used every asset we had and aimed them towards the enemy. They knew what they had just done, and we knew we couldn't let them get away with it. I can't speak for our brothers, but I personally haven't stopped fighting since that day, mainly with myself. A common thought for years was I wished it would have been me that day that died, constantly thinking of the life you could be living with your wife and the twins you never had the chance to hold. There was a point I was convinced that you would have made the most of life. Unlike the wretch I saw myself as for nearly a decade. Jesus, damn near a third of my life, spent dwelling on a single June afternoon. Reflecting, I'm not sure I've actually lived since I left Kotmani. Maybe some brief periods. Yeah, I've had those, but they have been fleeting. I found myself more angry than sad with the real life realization of how much time I have wasted. How can I live in your... How can I live to honor your memory? Man, I must have asked myself this thousands of times. I still do. 
Up until recently, I had not even a single clue. I kept trying the same things over and over. Believe it or not, the results were always the same. It was pure madness, I say. It's not that I didn't know better. Surely I did. It was just much easier to pound a case of beer or a fifth of bourbon in a few hours than to take five minutes and try to understand what your death truly means to me. My German roots and the Oakley lineage of heavy drinkers is the only reason I think my body handled the stress I put it through. That Johnny Cash song, Sunday morning, coming down. Man, I felt that daily. I knew once I took that first sip each day, I relinquished myself of all responsibilities and let the bottle be in control. God, I wouldn't wish that life for anyone. Despite the haze I was living in, I did catch glimpses of how not to honor you. These were my moments of pure desperation, determined to end all types of feelings for myself. There's no need to beat around the bush. You're my brother. I fantasize frequently about how refreshing a cold piece of lead would feel. The classic in the mouth, out the back of the head, Toe pulls the trigger, you know, Cobain style. I imagined it even more refreshing than even the finest bourbon on ice on a warm Florida afternoon. At times I was certain. It wasn't really my loved ones that kept me from following through. I was well aware what it would do to them if they found me lifeless and cold with brain matter scattered about. Deep into the woods I would go. That was the plan and it made perfect sense to me. The last thing I would see would be natural beauty and I would be giving myself back to the earth. Bugs, coyotes, buzzards, they could all have me. And if anything was ever found, it would be bones. I imagine that would have been much easier for my loved ones to cope with compared to bloody, bloated, and brainless lying in the dark. Obviously, I never did it. And it's really the simplest thing that prevented me. But it's this bracelet on my right wrist with your name on it that kept me from doing it. I genuinely thought that in the chance of an afterlife, and I saw you there, that you would be furious with my decision. I couldn't stand the idea of disappointing you. That terrified me, actually. I believe it is only natural for humans to want the approval of their heroes. And you're my biggest. Returning to the base that night, where you had just been sitting hours before, your now empty seat, what a haunting feeling that was. The feeling stuck with me and is a fine summary of how I was living my life until just months ago. I finally understand how I can live to honor you. I just need to live. I must acknowledge my emotions and no longer hide them from myself and, well, essentially the whole world. I must be present in each moment, not forgetting my past, but embracing it for allowing me to become the resilient motherfucker I am today. I'm convinced there is no challenge I can't conquer. 
I do feel America has changed since then, and not for the better, but I will not fret. I will cherish each moment of each day, treating it as the gift that it is. The last ten years have passed too quickly. Before I know it, my final moment will be here to greet me. My fear of living has transformed into a fear of wasting time. I couldn't be more grateful. Here's my promise to you, Josh, my brother. I will stand, I will stay humble, but I will stand tall in this world. Shoulders back and chest out, just like they trained us for drill and ceremony. No longer will I be curled up in cowardice, looking like Schmeagle in search of his precious. I will allow myself to be vulnerable and honest, instead of fearing an unfavorable judgment from people who have never actually danced with the devil. I will live by the legacy of the wolfhounds. I will be compassionate in times of peace, and I will be ferocious in battle. I obviously wish nothing but peace, but we both know all too well what man is capable of. I will share your tale with anyone who cares to listen. And I will do it proudly, attempting to smile with tears in my eyes. You, you goofy son of a bitch. You died that day so the rest of us foul-mouthed and rugged bastards could live on. If it wasn't for your courage, I may not be here today. I think that's enough fuel to keep my fire lit until I see you again. I love you, brother. Oakley. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you on Tuesday. It's on the retreat.